start right now, if that's, if that's okay with, with all of you. Uh, I, I just want, first of all, to, uh, to thank the attendees for, for joining. I know you're actually, uh, you know, passing beyond the, 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 the kind of tiredness that we have of the Zoom meetings that have been taking over our life for the last 18 months. I hope you're all getting in line already, partly vaccinated, and all this will be behind us. We will continue those webinars, by the way, because I think we actually really have a, a very good rhythm of trying to have a, a webinar series on, on a monthly basis on extractive industries and sustainable development, inclusive development. So that, that specific webinar is part of this series. Uh, as you know, some of you know, we also have a country per country uh, uh, webinar analysis. We just did Ecuador. We'll be looking at Peru, which is a very interesting country uh, right now, especially in the middle of the elections. I see Mariana just, <laughs> I know you've been looking at those elections. So we'll have a specific webinar on the 13th of May. You can already put it on your on your agenda, uh, looking at the situation in Peru and, the, and the, the, the potential developments of the mining sector in that country. But here we're really focusing on, you know, best practices uh, or, you know, elements of, of how the mining sector in integrates into projects of development and digital development, but also including development in different countries. Uh, we have covered in the past on, on, on previous webinars, the relationship with indigenous communities. We've covered issues of local content. We've covered issues of community consent. Uh, all this always trying to get a mix of university academics, uh, experts, uh, practitioner, uh, sometimes, you know, uh, uh, mining companies or, or financiers. So right now, I just want just first to, to mention my three guests. I mean, that's, that was very rude of me that to start with this, but I wanted to thank, you know, Catherine McCollum from Satani uh, Associates to, to, for, for joining us, uh, Daniela Seramaggi from the University of Pontifica Universidad de, uh, de, de, de Valparaíso. Uh, I don't know why the Brazilian with a G came in the middle. <laughs> I've been speaking Portuguese this morning, that's why. And Mariana Fregonese from Great Panther Mining are joining me uh, to discuss the question of, of social performance. So that's that's a huge topic. Uh, I have absolutely no arrogance or pretension of covering social performance and the extractive sector in one hour. But the idea that we had here is try to have an introductory um, uh, webinar, uh, such as the one that we did on local content uh, probably a month ago. It was an introductory webinar uh, on local content. By the way, all our transcripts or recordings are free. So just reach out to me if you want to have them. I'm happy to pass them along. Um, and and the, here we're going to be discussing about social performance. Uh, from first maybe a, a conceptual analysis. So we're going to be talking about you know sustainable livelihood first with uh, Catherine. Then we'll talk about you know impact assessment studies and and how to you know do it correctly and and with a, the long term vision in mind with Daniela. And we'll see a perspective you know from the mining company of Great Pine Mining Panthers with their operations in in Brazil, uh, Mexico, uh, Peru, uh, and and therefore trying to have comprehensive views on this topic. Maybe just turning to you uh, first, uh, Catherine and. I mean, I, I will we'll cover in the second round of question experience in Ethiopia, in uh, in Tanzania on, on key projects. You made an amazing uh, event last Tuesday on, on looking at, you know, how to bridge with different experts. Thank you for inviting me at, at that time and trying to get a, a, an inclusive vision of social performance from extractive companies. Can you maybe just walk us through, maybe just help me set the stage, first of all, thank you for this help, and maybe transition to the question of sustainable livelihood, which is uh, an interesting, you know, metrics or actually, let's say, approach to the question of social performance uh, that can mm -hmm. help therefore afterwards get a, a good metrics or get follow up of how to assess and improve the, the social license to operate of, of key projects. Okay, um, thank, thank, thank you, Remy. I think really social performance for me and I think for, um, for a lot of people that work in the sector is really the sum of all engagements. And, and 
whatever shape or form that engagement takes um, between companies and between the communities that host them, between the governments that host them, between the, the businesses and, and the potential services in the area. So how people engage really starts with how people relate to each other. How people relate, relate to each other then sort of draws on what different people perceive about each other. And quite my, the norm in the mining sector for a very, very long time has been to look at the communities around a project, whether it be exploration level or, or moving into sort of development and, and sort of in planning level sort of stages, and to look at what are, what, the, what are the problems in the community. They look at literacy levels, they look at health levels, and they focus on what a community doesn't have. And so from the very beginning, a project's relationship with the communities around is always looking at the problems and by focusing on the problems from the outset, you, you intrinsically end up with um, some sort of parent-child relationship where, and then you get dependency and, and, then, and then you get conflict and, and there's a very sort of common story there that, that has been seen all over the world across Latin America, across African countries, across Asia, across Europe. So what we do is we sort of, right at the beginning, we turn that relationship on its head and we say, instead of looking at what a community needs or what a community hasn't got or what their problems are, we look at what a community has. What assets does a community have? What are the strengths in this community? What skills do local people have? What natural resources do they have or have access to? Um, what financial capital do they have or have access to? What infrastructure do they have or have access to? Um, and, and also what social capital do they have or have access to in terms of, in terms of social assets? And in looking at this, we draw on something which is called the Sustainable Livelihoods Framework, which is really a pentagon of these different assets. But it just means you're looking at a community then from a perspective of what they have instead of what they haven't got. And in doing this, you can then focus on their ability to influence or access decision-making processes. And you can sort of look at where your organization can fit into this area's development as a partner in the development of the region, as opposed to coming in as a project that is very quickly perceived to be a provider of all things. And, and then, you know, that we get that, that same old story. So that, that's really what we're doing. So it's really just turning that from that initial understanding of a community on its head and looking at what a community has, what assets do they have, and seeing these assets as capital assets as something that is of value and, and that, that can be built on and extended. Maybe, maybe as, a, as, a, as a quick follow-up to this, and I always appreciate talking to you because I know we have the same vision of trying to turn from the you know, top down to bottom up. So basically you get what is existing, you engage very early with communities, you try to see how to fit, you know, using you know, methodologies from the cross-sectoral collaboration to you know, the theory of change elements, you actually mm -hmm. build you know, sustainable bonds with community actors. You know, in mm -hmm. a scenario, it doesn't take a lot of money, but it takes a completely different approach. Uh, yeah. and that, that, that's, I, I really appreciate this. 
I know we're going to be talking just afterwards on on, on the social impact in studies, uh, but maybe just to help me you know, transition toward Daniela on this. When you take the sustainable livelihood you know approach, you know how can you fit in into the the reporting of that are necessary in the you know either you know ESG well from the financing you know to the elements of, of self reporting and others. So how do you include this into elements of reporting on impact assessment? Well, all impact all impact assessments start with a, with a baseline. Yeah. So what we what we say in terms of that baseline, and we're working with a project in Ethiopia at the moment, a, a gold exploration project, and what we're doing with them is we are we are working with them to help them to understand the natural resources that the the community depends on. And whether you look at this from an ecosystem services perspective or, or look at how the, the provisioning and the cultural ecosystem services tie in with the social baseline, I mean, it, it's gathering that information, it's, it's gathering data which enables you to have an understanding of your impact on a community, understanding the strengths of a community um, and how, uh, a, a, say, a gold exploration will, project will impact or a gold mining project would impact on that. You know that is just as valid as understanding what the problems in that community are. Mm -hmm. So you know when you look at when you when you when when you look at your resources report, if you're a geologist, you don't look at what's missing. You look at what's there. Absolutely. It's, it's a and so you know why why do we only keep that mentality for underground, above ground? We should look for what's there as well, not not for what the gaps are. We look for what is there and what can be built on and supported. And it actually ends up being a lot more cost efficient because you are working with skills and extending them rather than building a school building a hospital you're building a building but you're not you're not adding anything to the community you're, you're creating buildings without looking at what skills there are that could be used to sort of to develop educational sort of i don't know projects that that, that support and build on the i don't know that are relevant or to the local area or to the local context. Yeah. So it's yeah. just it's a different way of looking at it. I could bridge that to a series of you know past conversation in these series that, that, that I'm thinking of and, and then I'll turn to, to, to Daniela just from Daniela's great experience in Chile specifically and, and looking at how to mm -hmm. find those you know social impact assessment. But you know all, all that you're seeing obviously is that the focus that we've seen from mining companies, that might be something I bring out to your attention, Mariana, has been and understandably so uh, because of a series of, of structural forces on, on risk, risk assessment, uh, yep. on the other elements, which was, you know, trying to look at capacities uh, and, and therefore a lot of communication on we're going to bring you infrastructure, we're going to, sometimes I've heard mining executives, not you know, saying we're going to pull you out of poverty, which is probably the worst thing to start saying when you arrive <laughs> to yeah. a community, but I've heard it. And the idea was, you know, with yeah. the hospitals and, and schools and so on, but without actually engaging as a mean of, you know, equal communication rights, at least. Uh, on, on trying to understand what are the existing elements. Yes, there's maybe, you know, a green tourism, there might be coffee uh, production that might be at risk because of, uh, you know, a mining project. So let's see how we can grow together. You know, let's try to provide and, just, and, and so on. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I was about to sorry, tell you. Building on that, that, that quickly, Remy, I mean, the, the, the project we're working on in Ethiopia, we're, we're working, there's an exploration stage and, um, and they've, they've, we're working with them much earlier than, than traditional sort of mining projects, pulling consultants. And what we're what they're, they're a Norwegian company and they're called Akobo Minerals. And what they are pushing is the importance of, I suppose, the environment of the area. And we're working with them to look at how rehabilitation 
of areas sort of in and around the mine that have been damaged by artisanal mining can be rehabilitated and through this rehabilitation carbon credits can be generated which in turn generate income for the community you, to manage themselves for you, their own development you bring and when me, you think you, about you bring this me, yeah, you're bringing me back to my united nations environmental program years of you know carbon <laughs> you know calculation and and you know impact on forestation i promise to come back to that case because that's actually my okay. second question that's, I don't want to lose my second question to you. <laughs> and looking at Ethiopia and Tanzania and different cases, the one in Zanzibar that you have also. But maybe turning okay. to Daniela, you know, we've talked, you know, uh, likely for the moment of, you know, impact assessment studies. I mean, and, and you actually uh, do a series of them and we talked about this. Maybe can I ask you to help me also set the stage in terms of, you know, what should be included into, into good impact assessment studies? Maybe a little scholar, but that's actually very interesting to just try to make sure that we're all on the same line here. Yes, of course. Well, first of all, uh, thank you, Remy, for the invitation and for all the people that is watching this webinar. Well, first of all, I have to give some of the context. In Chile, uh, social impact assessments, they are within environmental impact assessments as a baseline, as a human baseline that is very basic. So, we, like social scientists, consultants, we have to be kind of missionaries trying to convince people that they should put more information because a social or human baseline can have or collect much more information that will be very like the potential, potential information to build Mm -hmm. uh, trust and good relationships in the future in the future the problem is that like Catherine was like telling like an ideal uh, situation where she's working on in an exploration project so kind of a best practice to recommend will be of course that um, SIAs uh, should be done in early stages of project but usually, at least in Chile and in the most of the developing countries, they are done when all the key decisions are already made. Well, the entire project is designed. They are not even done in the planning stage, not even in exploration stage. And if they will be done at that point in the early stages, will be way more useful in the future. So. So that's why uh, uh, a good practice will be to do it, to, to try to do it in early stages and also to try to take it out from environmental impacts assessment because it's a small chapter within a huge report in environmental, to assess environmental issues. And that is set up in a way that you only have to put certain information. So if you add crucial information, key information like Catherine was mentioning like assets, priorities, visions of the territory. I mean, that information that will not be hard to, 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 to get will be very useful to then in the future build trust. The I, other thing, I, yeah, I, go. Just, just uh, and, and I please keep your other thought just afterwards, but I think you mentioned two very important things. Um, first of all, the, 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 the interest of being proactive on these things uh, and, and, and not only submitting it when it's requested and so on. I mean, we've, we've, we work with a series of, of mining companies in Latin America and we keep you know, telling them and, and at good 
faith that it's better to submit some information on the baseline on, on what are your priorities in terms of social strategies that actually helps you pass along a lot of the red tape and and and, and the time when you actually are being you know evaluated by the ministry of mines in different countries i have key countries in mind when i say this i don't want to say the names but it also you know really show the commitment to those issues and also the building trust from the very beginning so a lot of companies that prefer you know staying on the on the sofa waiting for the letter to arrive in the mail and there's already a series of demands for the communities to be doing this and therefore they can't doing if they're more proactive and show good faith at the beginning at a very minimum cost compared to you know if you wait you can actually provide a lot of information that will help you get jump in front of the line for a lot of the process at the ministerial level. And that's something that, that you mentioned that was very important. The second thing that I wanted to, to, to bring was, you, you made a comment of when it's too late, it's after the design of the mine. Uh, we had a conversation on Tuesday, I mean, you were not in my work group, but you know, uh, Catherine you probably knows the company with a, with a representative of a mining company that was saying, the lot of the information that we want to get from the communities are actually their, their opinions sometimes on different scenarios for the mine structure, for you know mining decisions. And we need to have communication. We also communicate very hard scientific data, which is very, very complex. But if you don't do this at this moment, then of course you don't have the communities as a partner of taking, of at least being informed of the good faith of the mining company, even if they don't have a decision right on those. I mean, there's different you know, scope of, of participation levels there that can actually be applied, but you actually will gain the trust from the communities. And that's where I'm turning back maybe to, you mentioned trust, and that was kind of my transition, but you also had a second point, Daniela. And then I love to get the feedback from, from the mining company, Mariana. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming just after. Uh, but yes, Daniela, please, if you if you yeah. give me a second one, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, the other thing is that um, in Chile, we still, unfortunately, we have short partic participation standards. So consultation processes are working very poorly still. So prior consent doesn't exist. It is suggested to companies that they should carry out uh, early participation, but because it's not mandatory, it's not compulsory to do it, usually they don't do it. And also consultants have to try to convince them of the benefits of doing that. But because usually that is not done, then imagine that when you are, as a social scientist, as a consultant conducting uh, SIA, it's the first time that the community see people coming from the company or representing the company. So whatever you do, how you talk, how you approach to them, you have to be very careful. You have to do it in their own terms because you, even though, is not meant to be like that, the SIA, you are already building trust and kind of putting the seeds of how is going to be the relationship if the project gets the approval, the environmental approval. I mean, you already put in the seeds. Absolutely. So if you don't include, for instance, traditional ecological knowledge, local ecological knowledge, don't tell them information that they are asking you because sometimes they send you the companies and they say, don't tell them anything about the project, just ask them. I mean, it's impossible to do that. You are already building a, a relationship. So what you do or you don't do at that stage, that is the first stage, the most of the time that people approach to the community in an active way and even to being asking them things so you are very intrusive like trying to get information for them in a short time 
you have to be very careful. So that's why uh, you you it's very important to do it in their own terms. And it's very important to have done prior to that, even though the company wouldn't ask you to do that sometimes, to have a good stakeholder mapping because to who you're going to approach, for instance, to ask for assets. Sometimes the first groups that approach to the consultants are people that have their own interests that they don't represent the most of the people Absolutely. in the territory. And if you didn't conduct a mapping, a stakeholder mapping in the beginning, you will be kind of choosing random people and that sometimes won't be the right people to yeah. talk to. No, so I, that will be another best practice to to kind of recommend. Absolutely, I mean, that, that's interesting. I've seen you know Mariana nodding and laughing and having reactions of kind of being in line. I, I actually just to to make some arguments. Obviously, when you look at the lifetime of a project, where you know exploration is not where you actually generate funds. So you know developing some budget for community relations when we interact with companies at different stage of, of the projects. So that might be one of the of the first question that that, that that will have for you, Mariana. Maybe you know how do you you know integrate since you actually have you know projects in Mexico. You have a, a, a great project in Brazil. Uh, had done the due diligence on that project for another buyer. I'm just not happy that you, <laughs> you bought it because I wanted to. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> work on that project uh, but you know and you have you know a project exploration stage at, at uh, in Peru the, the question here is you know how do you integrate this into your processes as a company obviously it's harder to you know get some funds up front to generate the kind of studies at the exploration level without knowing exactly the geological you know capacities or, or your key you know dedication and investment level from your corporate team you know how, how do you integrate those questions of social performance not only in the social performance committee of great mining panther which I'm sure is amazing but also as a transversal tape topic uh you know with you know cfo with others or or i'm mentioning the cfo that could be anyone else but the cfo is obviously very strategic here and generating the funds to be able to uh, to, to do those work look i think uh the, the answer to that question adds a little bit of everything that we have been discussing until now i think um first of all mining companies have uh now uh, probably some more than others, other understanding the why early engagement is much more cost-effective and, and, and allows you to manage risk in a much better, easier way, right? So when you start seeing also that from the investment community, for the financial community, you have requests for disclosure on the E, and like Danielle was saying, like all the, all the permits, you have like 90% is environmental data. And in some cases like Chile and Peru, you have a little bit of social and in some other countries, don't, you don't even have that, right? So um, it's, it's, I think companies are starting to see that this is no longer uh, an optional. Uh, and either because you went through a crisis or a conflict in an operation, or you're trying to acquire something or a project that already has a context, a social context. There's a conflict. There's something at the, the, the layers of the social side that doesn't allow for, for a development or just to build a mine. So I, I think uh, as, as probably the, the mining company representative here, I think we, 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 we have a lot to learn yet. Uh, but I think that over the last 10 years, uh, this social performance side of the business has change for the good a lot, right? Um, and, and it doesn't matter if you have like the funds, how do you get the funds? You don't need a lot of money, 
right? You just need to have a systematic approach and just do, like Benia was mentioning, doing a stakeholder mapping exercise is not too expensive, right? Having the right people on the ground is not too expensive. This is just a training session. We had like as a, as a small producer, we're, we're still looking for projects. And, and, and sometimes we do start uh, some drilling. Uh, I remember you talked about the Guadalupe project in, I don't remember where it was, but it was something that we started drilling uh, and then and it didn't work. But at the same time, we started drilling and, and I don't know if Monica's been us on, on this call, but we engaged Monica and her team to actually start building that database, building that engagement, training the geologists, because uh, it's probably not only the, the consultants that actually start compiling this data is the geologist, right? The, 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 the exploration team is probably the first one on, on that side. And, and, and how we train and how we explain the team, uh, we are setting expectations the moment we set foot on the ground, right? So it's very important, even if you're a consultant or employee of the company, that we are all clear and what is it that we're trying to achieve? We're, we're setting clear Expectations. I think Fabiola here um, from yeah, Peru. I, I, I saw the question from Fabiola. I was about to address it in the follow-up, but please start taking. And by the yeah. way, I, I encourage anyone to ask questions in the, in the Q and A. I see them, and I will ask them at the same time if we can. Yes. Is how do you communicate, right? And how do you build trust? You build trust by communicating and being, being exactly as clear as you can. Can we do it better? Most likely. Like in, 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 in a lot of cases, we go back and do a postmortem and say, well, we could have done that better or we could have approached this in a different way. Uh, but that is the part of learning, right? This is not an exact science and, and each community is different. Even in the same countries, we have two operations in Mexico. Even in the same mine, we have very different communities, right? So there's no one recipe that you can say, okay, this is the best toolkit and go and apply it. You have to look at the external stakeholder groups, but you also have the internal side of the company, which is actually combined makes things very interesting. Yeah, but you see, I mean, that that's, um, for me, it's a real question of, of perspective. I'm trying to take both the question on, on the Q&A and transition into to, to Catherine. Uh, it, obviously, I mean, we, we look at communication and we'll do, by the way, a specific webinar on communication because communication is a key element of sustainability, especially the approach to communication. Uh, there's plenty of things that could be said from the basic communication to the, the platforms that, that we generate <clears throat> that help, you know, having a, a two-way street in terms of communication. Uh, we'll also do something on governmental affairs and water. I'm just putting a little out there for the future in case people are interested to do that. This, but looking at, at, at what you're talking about communication, the problem is how you position the mind into the future of the territory. Uh, and, and, and obviously the approach to communication that we've seen in many companies, which is basically giving information about the project or you know, trying to give some, some, some you know, showcasing the, the, the rightful and the good attempts for mining companies to do some CSR project and other, in order also to convince investors that they're doing a lot of work. What convinces investors, I mean, we talk with investors, especially when we're talking about Peru right now, <laughs> investors want to know what's happening in Peru, but the issue is, quite, is much more at the local level when you look at this and your capacity to have grasps the concerns of your communities. So the communication, if you really want it to be effective, it's about allowing your communities to communicate 
to you know your broad base and communicate good things uh, and and through their eyes of being able to say look I have this issue but you actually answer to it after you know two three days there's a committee on this and so on and that is what will allow you to have your social license to operate it all this all comes to the idea of having the mining company as one actor and not the overbearing actor in a territory and therefore let others be able to express themselves about whether it is about you know uh, uh, you know uh, eggplant culture or tomatoes or coffee or or actually local business there unleashing this power through communication and being able and, and that's why you were kind of mentioning you know Catherine in the in, in the case of, of Ethiopia but you can also mention you know the your project that you have in, uh, in in Zanzibar for example of how to engage those communities but being kind of the tutor we've seen it in a in a, in a webinar on local content of having investment through local content actually serves other sector and allow for the diversification the incoming diversification of the of the of the uh, of the territory same thing for social performance it's a social diversification and allow allowing for you know well-being in a series of metrics with the mining companies as one of the actors but engaging on the equal grand level with demands from the communities or concerns basically that was the longest sentence ever i think so i'm just going to stop it here i'm going to go call the world guinness record book and and, and ask you catherine what is your th thoughts on this um my thoughts on this are it's very easy as um and person with experience and development or or somebody that comes from a um i suppose uh, the global north and is then working in the global south or some people call third world to come in and to want to make people's lives better yeah. and to see i can yeah. do this view i can do this view i can do this view yet as i was saying earlier that doesn't work that approach only works as long as you are pump priming it, funding it, coercing people to be involved in it through whatever means. Sorry, my, I've been surrounded by dogs now. Um, what we've done and what we did in Zanzibar is we worked with, um, um, with a four-year sort of climate change adaptation project. And with this climate change adaptation project, we developed a model by which we worked with communities and we supported them to develop their vision for their community looking at five sort of ten years and then we did something called backward mapping we worked with them okay to, to reach this vision what can we do what needs to change what needs to change what needs to change and sort of identifying sort of the small changes that they felt needed to happen for their communities to be as they would like to see them Zanzibar is a tropical island and so as a tropical island it is vulnerable to climate change and it has been hit hard by climate change. Um, people sort of growing their crops now have encroachment from the ocean, sort of from the Indian Ocean, so, so the crops don't grow because they get inundated with seawater. Um, they have unexplained weather events. They had the first cyclone in over 100 years of last week um and thing so th th there are lots and lots and lots of extreme weather events which when you're on a small island are much bigger than if you're on a bigger landmass you cannot escape you're there so there so we've been working with the communities to identify what can they what they would like their communities to look like and for them to identify what and where they require technical support 
where they have the skills, which comes back to the asset-based approach again, you know, where they have the skills and the assets, where they can sort of do things, what support they need, whether it be technical, financial, what have you. And we've ended up working with um, the ministry and working with the communities um, and the, sort of the government at large to really to increase understanding, increase awareness and to affect positive change um, by building on people's strengths. This model, we're in the process of taking it sort of from a tropical island to southern Ethiopia at the moment with the project I mentioned earlier and again doing something similar and working with the communities that exist in and around uh, uh, this gold exploration project to work with them for them to develop their sustainable vision. It's an area that has artisanal mining, it's an area that has agriculture, it's an area that has quite a lot of water yep. um, and has heavy rains, has rainy seasons. It has a very mixed population. It's also close to the Sudanese border and the South Sudanese border. And so, and that's rather um, volatile at the moment. So we've got all sorts of really complex issues all going on in around. So we are, we are planning to be working with this community, with the different stakeholders, following Dan Daniela's sort of, you know, um, recommendation. You were carrying out a thorough stakeholder mapping beforehand and then engaging with the different stakeholder groups to, 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 to really collate their collective vision and then to look at how that can be supported and how at the moment they plant trees, um, mostly through the churches, but things like um, Epiphany, they will, they will identify an area where they will actually plant trees as part of their Epiphany celebration. So we're looking, that's one area which we'll be looking sort of how can we sort of work with the church the churches in the area and, and the mosques in the area and build on activities that they're already doing that have some environmental benefit how can these be built on and extended working with them so that tree planting not only is for epiphany but tree planting can be for carbon capture as well and through this then generating income through um to helping them to develop a, a payment for the ecosystem services that they they are actually they are actually developing. I, so I'll, I'll take it from there and thank you very much for for, for sharing okay. the, the experience and um, I, I know the region that you're mentioning in uh, in Ethiopia uh, and we have a similar project in Mozambique so with the same concerns and on all on all the on all levels I completely understand you know the kind of step by step approach. We have two very interesting questions you know, from Luana Gomez in a mining company in Brazil, Augusto Calti, which maybe know as a, as a former vice minister of mine in Peru. Uh, and, and, and those questions are interesting, especially the question of, of raising expectations. Uh, obviously, if you also work with, you know, company, uh, with communities and you try to have them, what is their future in 10 years, they potentially can see, yes, a possibility, which is, could be interesting in terms of showing how, let's say, mining investment through, you know, participation in better, you know, say government school or better capacity or better, you know, skill building set so showing also the, the 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 adding up from the mining company in terms of supporting the project in that case. But yes, there is the risk indeed of increasing expectation. We've seen in in many in many cases, especially when commodities were extremely high. And like you think about the case of La Colosa in in, in Colombia, for example, and and, and raise expectations uh, at level. So how do you actually manage those expectations? That's very important. Uh, there's different methodologies to this. Sorry if I can just take two two minutes on this. Uh, first, it's very important that it's actually you know done with a third party, uh, and, and a third party which is not only 
only, let's say, one person representing the company, but actually with a team of two or three people in terms of bridging a more comprehensive approach to it, but also taking the responsibility of it in a sense that there, there's, there's a, a strategy that is being made, but it's not done by an employee of the mining company. Therefore, there's an element of being able to play a little bit with the buffer. That's more, a small detail. The more a bigger element is the kind of methodology that you actually implement. And, and, and Catherine, you know, touched on a few of those. Uh, I mean, we've been selected by the Devonshire Initiative to give a series of courses on, on, on collaboration and, and building this. So I'm just going to go through basically my slides as a professor for last week. <laughs> but basically, you start with an asset mapping structure. So, you know, what is there? Then you turn towards a collaboration mapping. So basically, you know, based on this asset mapping, what are the capacities to develop, you know, some sound collaboration and, and go beyond just one plus one, okay? And you look at the structure of both, you know, what are, yes, you have public positions. I'm doing a triangle, by the way, sorry. You have public positions that are the result of interest and their reasons of, of values, of norms, of, of visions. This is what you need to understand, to be able to cry, to, 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 great, to, to create some sustainable link with communities and understand that you're here with a real interest in the long run without trying to build expectation. Usually those, and when we talk about where do you see your community, it's not about, well, I want to have five hospitals and two, you know, football fields or whichever. No, it's more, you know, question about, you know, and we're talking at the anthropological level or here sociological level in terms of, you know, your key concerns in terms of security, your key concerns about, you know, livelihood, your key concerns about, you know, health, yes, in a certain extent, but how can you communicate about this and how can you actually see the processes towards the point that you want to be, which is a, an element of sustainable livelihood. What I'm saying is very inclusive. It's not that much quantified, I and mean, it is quantified to a certain extent, but I know usually, you know, uh, mining companies want to have hard rock numbers on those elements, but they actually offer you the possibilities then to elect for two different scenarios either a community-led development where you support the community, but they have the responsibility for reaching the goals. Therefore, you reach, they are responsible for meeting those expectations. Or another one, which is a much more cross-sectoral collaboration where if I mean, I strongly engage the help of a broker or facilitator organization, I mean, Satani is one, we're one, I and mean, whichever. So, but th this allows you then to work with those communities with the right institutional framework to communicate with them of where are the failures and others. So yes, you raise expectations because you, you show them where they could be arriving, but you need to set a, 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 a positive image also with the negative externality that could have on the environment and others, but you engage with the communities from the get-go as actors. And, and if I can just, just as a, as a footnote, if you want to go back to the webinar that we did, I feel like in my classroom right now. If you want to go back to the webinar that we did in a, in a, on, on indigenous communities, we looked at the case of project reconciliation in, a, in a Alberta, British Columbia, which is a pipeline. But there's a 51% trust in the hands of the indigenous communities where there's a series there of decision-making where they're very much involved. This is a, a good case scenario. You have to ramp up to it with different, obviously, you're not going to start with engaging an indigenous community that, that doesn't know much about mining and, and there's lack of socialization as a 51 owner of, of a trust. No, but the idea is to try to engage them as equal partners step by step so that you grow as different actors into the territory. I'm just going to turn to Daniela because you were- Can, you were, I, can yes. I say something? It's all yours, I Daniela. Just want to I answer yeah. that same word. <laughs> yeah, very short because to go next to Mariana. Uh, one thing that you have to always keep in mind when you are working with human beings, with communities, is, and considering the uh, um, asset framework that Catherine was describing, you have to also be flexible and keep updating that information. And that has to be also with expectations because assets can change over the time. So sometimes when you start to work with the community, with the local community, and then suddenly they 
is that there are dynamics. I mean, human beings are dynamics. And sometimes companies think, oh, we already got these agrees and this is what they want. And then these were their assets. And then out of the blue, they change and they have new assets and so on. So you need to keep updating and monitoring that information over and over all through the cycle of the mining project until the end, because totally can change by the end. Imagine the, the environmental assets. I mean, natural resources could be different because climate change. And then what they have in the past, 10 years later, when the mine is about to close, they don't have it anymore. So you have to keep also updating them because expectations, the people could say, oh, but you said that we were going to do that. Yeah, well, but situation has changed. I mean, the environment has changed or you have learned new things and new skills. So you always have to be flexible about that. And the other thing is one of the assets that for anthropologists is very important is to learn about social structures and dynamic within because also many things you can predict what is going to happen, knowing how are the dynamics between. So mapping stakeholders is not just to tell you about how many different groups are and their vision and their interests, also the dynamic between them is very important. Absolutely. So Absolutely. only those two, two elements I'm, to, I'm, to I'm keep in I'm mind. Gonna to, I'm gonna to turn to Mariana, I saw her even take notes. So, I mean, I, I, know, I know she has an answer, but just, just maybe to build on this. And when we say about informing, and that's one of the limitations, and, and maybe explain the, the question that was questioned uh, asked about lack of communication or rejection of, of some of mining projects in Peru, for example. It's not about just you know having your have I achieved my objectives kind of borealis framework inside the mining companies where the mining operative just you know fits up of what he has done in his work for the mining company. No, we're talking about a different approach to this, which is communicating to the communities. Uh, and, and there are you know now thanks to the development of new platform, there are ways to have 24/7 communication with communities when they actually want to you know be connected to those networks. I and mean, we have one. I don't want to do a sales pitch here, but that, that's that's a way to actually be able to engage them thoroughly because when you actually have just a meeting every three months as, as good as you are then you come back to your organization you develop your commitment you work on this but how do you relay the information on a regular basis with the community actors you come back three months later without having engaged with them and especially now with covid i mean i'm looking at mariana who's you're stuck in vancouver lovely city but obviously traveling out of vancouver for the last few months has been complex I'm I'm I'm, ha I'm lucky. I'm traveling next week. I'm going back still every two weeks to to Latin America and other jurisdictions. But how do you work with this, therefore? And, and maybe if you want to, you know, tie this up. I know you have to go at fifty-five. So if you want to give a, a last a last comment, that'd be wonderful, Mariana. Yes. So I, I think the communication part is 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 extremely important. And uh, of the communication part, I think we 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 really need to focus on the listening part. I think Catherine mentioned that we sometimes we go with pre-assumptions or, or solutions that we think they are the best and, and, and we really need to, to listen and have a, a conversation and, and just continue building that relationship, right? How do you do it? Uh, how do you do it? Like, I think for me as a practitioner the last year, I think we started with this crazy world uh, at, at side levels in March, February, March. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing how resilient communities are. Uh, it's amazing how the social teams at sites had to adapt. Uh, for example, we had a, 
we renewed a, a surface agreement rights in Peru with one of uh, our communities of, of the project there. And on, on last a week ago, we had a community assembly where you know that you have to have by law, everybody in the same room technically, uh, but we needed the, to have 93 people uh, actually going through the process in the public and in the community assembly. So we had to, to switch to, to change and actually have uh, 50 in an open room, very like social distancing. And then we have people on, on Zoom and on WhatsApp, right? So when you think about it and you actually put the communication need or, or value as a tool, as a management tool, an engagement tool, you find a way, right? I never thought we would be doing a, a community assembly over WhatsApp right, a year ago. Those, you know that you have to be present, you have to sign the minutes, the acts, the agreement. Well, guess what? COVID, right? Yeah. So now you have to have, and we had the, we had to brainstorm, I would do this over radio. We're gonna have to have a radio channel for the community, all to have access to this information that is actually impacting their common land and their common rights. So I think it's, 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 it's key and also you need to, like we were saying, you need to find a way of, of presenting your project or your process. And, and it may be tricky too, right? Because not always you're gonna start with an exploration site. And in our case, for example, for, for Tucano in Brazil or the, the, the project in Peru, there were previous operators yeah. with different engagement methods, with different ways of working. So now you have to yeah. present yourself and say, okay, this is Great Panther now, and this is how we would like to, to engage with you, we need to listen what you you think, right? Because sometimes it's, it's very different. It's very different. But like I think very con content and um, clear communication helps to say, okay, the previous operator of Tucano did this in a way and now Repander wants to do it in different ways. I think that communities also are very open and, and understand. Even in Peru, we have neighbors in mining companies between us, we have very different ways of working and they know too, right? Like what does Great Panther do and what does the other companies may or may not do? Perfect, no, no, very, very interesting. And, and I, there's actually an interesting question from, from Matt Jackson, I don't know if you, if, you, if you saw it, which is basically what do you do when there's actually, you know, with the best community engagement methods, it's impossible to reach an agreement with communities. When do you know that you should back off? Uh, how, how do you engage it? I have already my, my ideas on this. Uh, I'm not gonna ask Mariana, because obviously Mariana and Great Panther are doing, you know, a perfect job. They don't want to back off to any other properties. No, so she, no. she would not know, uh, but I do have uh, answers to this, Catherine and maybe Daniel, if you want to start with maybe that question and, and give some some concluding thoughts uh, on, on this webinar so we, we actually finish on time um Master, 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 Master. oh it's going no 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 you you go Catherine okay. go. um i think ultimately if you don't have community consent you don't have a project i think you can keep pushing and we've got some very good examples in europe there's a lithium project in caseras in spain and um, the community do not want it. Caceres Town is a World Heritage Site, UNESCO World Heritage Site. This lithium deposit is in a mountain just outside. The community do not want this project. And the project is pushing ahead and pushing ahead. It's not gonna happen. And because the community do not want it. So I think 
you need to listen. Um, you know, my, my grandmother always used to say, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And you have to use what God gave you, you know? And if you don't listen, and people are saying, no, 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 no. And you're saying, but what if, but what if? And they're going, no, the answer should be no. And I think the, the mining sector of the 21st century can no longer railroad in and compulsory, well, they can, but they shouldn't. They can in some jurisdictions, but they shouldn't railroad and, and be able sort of to force their agendas because it comes back and it bites. And so I think if the community says no, I think you just need to listen. Daniela, do you want to, you know, and by the way, I'm going to steal, I hope it's not copyright. I, I, I'm going to steal that, you know, two ears, one mouth uh, quote for, for future conversations. Oh, it's copyrighted to my grandmother. <laughs> yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to use it for my kids personally, but I, I don't, but anyway, uh, just, uh, Daniela, if you want to. I'm add, sure many other grandmothers. Some, some no, um, and, and yeah, just telling about in Chile, always have, we have been talking about that we should uh, kind of do a mapping of the entire country territory and kind of set up very clear for companies in what areas is possible or not possible to kind of uh, build any kind of project, mining, energy or whatever. Because there are, because special circumstances, because, oh, I don't know, cultural or um, heritage or, 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 or just because the people in that area, they are really attached to the land for any way or past experience that in some, or because they are saturated, because they are just already too polluted, that companies should know in advance, maybe the, because there was a plan of doing that, but never has been done by the Ministry of Bienes Nacionales, National Goods, that they were going to do that to prevent companies to just to try to set up a project in a place that where they already know there are a lot of elements that will tell you in, way in advance that it's not possible to conduct, uh, to, 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 to build or to conduct or go on with any kind of project of that, not extracted as, uh, project at least. At least. No, no, and, and so that is an idea that is, will be a good idea for different countries because we'll save a lot of time and money to companies. I, and I, I, it's something that our government can do, can do. I'll come back to this, you know, Chile as a conclusion, and specifically, I, I wanted to, you know, raise a, a few, a few answers to to Matt on, on on this question. But I know Mariana has to go, so I'm sure she wants to maybe have a final words or just uh, excuse herself. But I, I'll, I'll conclude on this webinar after. Mariana, do you want to say a few words before you leave? Uh, no, I just just going to to Matt's question, yeah. uh, and I 100% I agree with Catherine. Some companies may have a mandate, and it will go for a project knowing that they think they may change the social situation, but sometimes with, with communities, they know. You, you may have different different approaches, I think. Uh, we had one project also in Mexico uh, where, where the community, we, we did the due diligence, we, we worked with very, uh, like an expert uh, on that. And, and, and eventually we, we reached, the community got together and they decided that they did not want mining, right? So uh, I, I think for us, uh, as a junior producer, that we, we didn't, like it was clear, okay, this is when we have to go. Uh, if there are er early warnings, I don't know. I think we are, 
we're mining companies, right? We, we want to keep mining. So you probably will go different ways and trying to have and present your project, trying to explain what you want to do, the impact and, and the potential collaboration and, and the potential uh, benefits that that may bring. But some, some communities will, like Catherine said, say no, right? And, and, and that's fine. Um, that in, and to Daniela's point, that communities change, that in 10 years may have a switch, right? You have new generations. I think in, in our communications with, with, uh, with communities, you have uh, the, the, the actors, and, and then you have new actors, right? The, the young people that actually want to have a say in their future too. And the kid that was, I don't know, 10 years, a day, 10 years old in, in 2010, today wants a job and wants to be more involved in the environmental protection of the communities. So I think uh, sometimes they may say no and they may say yes later, or it's always that solid no. I think that's, that's part also in the, in the, the collaboration and, and just understanding that you want to this. You want to burn money and, and say, oh, I'll keep doing it. You're not going to be able to, I think, people today with technology and social media, they, they found a very good way to express their voices and, uh, and actually to organize themselves to say no when they feel they have to say that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and maybe just to, to, to build on this, I agreed with you, you three start of th three answers. Uh, first of all, on community consent, I mean, this is, this is needed and, and, and there's, I wouldn't say the time and age where you could actually get an investment from different investors that just do desk research on community consent in your, in your jurisdiction. This is fast. Uh, and, and, and that's a good thing, actually. So they actually can have really an understanding of, of the situation on the ground. I would refer maybe to the webinar we did on community consent with Columbia University. I'm happy to send it to anyone that, that reaches out to, to me on this one. Uh, on the question of, of where do you know that it's time to go? Because my, 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 my take on this is, is always, and I say that for sometimes, you know, there's often some anti-mining people that join my webinar. I got very good friends in indigenous communities. You know me, I got very good friends at green parties and others. And I tell them, you know, most 95% of mining executives believe that the mine is in the best interest of the territory, whether they're right or wrong is different, uh, but they are good intention. And sometimes that might be linked to that question. I don't know the specific project that, that we're talking about here. Happy to talk further. It is a question of how, how can I make them understand that it is for their best interest. And sometimes they are opposed to the mining company for reasons that are not the right ones. I'm just going to that very specific case. I've seen it several times. What I say usually is, first of all, you need to be able to get rid of the negative impact from outside. So many, a lot of the opposition are sometimes motivated by political interests from the capital cities, by green NGOs that are very good, well-intentioned sometimes, but have no clue what's really happening in French Guyana or in, in, uh, in Peru or in other places. And so the objective is really to be able to have a, a regular, maybe a small session of two or three months of a, a small dedicated social media of communication with that team to be able to exchange, with that community to be able to exchange, but limited to that specific environment. Basically, it's like if you're a surgeon, you want to take the final try at, at a wound. First of all, you clean it up. Okay, then you actually look at the best case scenario where you could get for a limited amount of time and just assess, you know, let's say a highly, you know, in terms of new technology, if it's a, it's a platform or if it's methodologies made with, you know, very highly credentialed people that have good relation with the community, not too much good relationship. Actually, if it's a foreigner, it's even better in some cases, let's be very clear, okay? And, and just try to engage with them and in a very short frame, 
three months decide whether yes or no. You gave it your last tribe, you really went for the best, you cleared it up from externalities that would have impacted the communication and the lack of trust, and it all goes through trust. And that's obviously you know, a word that was, you know, I think, mentioned by all the panelists here. It's a question of showing dedication to this, building trust, seeing the newcomers in terms of, of communities, the youth usually are, are supporting more the, the, the project when they are well explained. And you can then take a decision of whether just to keep it, you know, uh, not developing for the moment, try to sell it or really engage into it if you were able to get a clean playing slate. But that is worth doing. I mean, if I were, I, I take a lot of metaphor, but if I had a, a very a health issue and I wanted to take a decision whether or not to go for an operation or not, just consult, put it your best for two or three months, clear with other externalities and get an operation, like an intervention and take a decision right after. And I think, you know, in those cases, those are, you know, mining projects where there are a lot of antagonisms, sometimes for bad reasons, for history, for, you mentioned, you know, mine legacy, which is a key one. I mean, we have a, a white paper, I need to re-edit it, but you'll get it very soon on, on, on mining risk in Africa and mining risk in Latin America, where mine legacy is a key element of opposition from communities. But there are specific methodologies for all of those, you know, risk or, or, or limitation. Uh, happy to engage and I, I really recommend Daniela and Catherine in, in, uh, in the areas of expertise also for this. Uh, good to know that you're, you're not on my recommendation towards you. That's good. <laughs> we all agree there. That's perfect. Uh, I, I just maybe we just at 11.59. Uh, I wanted to, uh, you know, thank all of you for, for joining. As always, We'll get a transcript for this webinar. Or we can circulate it. Just reach out to us. Uh, we'll give it to you. As I said, there's an objective here, which is both academy in terms of best practices and you know sharing them with the mining sector and liaising you with a lot of the Amberley advisory friends and experts. So um, I'm definitely putting Daniela Catherine into this and in terms of companies, Mariana. I'm looking forward to having next conversations uh, in the next webinar. And for you, Catherine, Daniela, Mariana, thank you again. And you know how to reach me on, on WhatsApp or over a coffee over the weekend. That, that There's no problem. <laughs> Thank you very much to all of you.